Scary Mysteries, Twisted Twos, Chiron Horman, and the Stanford Prison Experiment. Tales of hauntings, murder, and scary mysteries. Every week, Twisted Twos dives into a pair of uniquely terrifying true stories that are worthy of a more in-depth look. For this week, we're looking at the mysterious disappearance of a young student and the shocking results from a highly controversial experiment. Get ready for Scary Mysteries, Twisted Twos. Number 1. Disappearance of Chiron Horman Seven-year-old Chiron Horman was getting ready to attend a school science fair on June 4, 2010 in Portland, Oregon. The smiley young boy was taken to school by his stepmother, Terry, and at around 8.45 a.m., she left as Chiron headed into class. Terry said she then went to run errands and was at the grocery store until around 10. After that, she then drove around town with her daughter in an attempt to soothe an earache. Then she headed to the local gym and was back home around 1.15 p.m., where she uploaded a photo of Chiron that she had taken at the fair that morning to her social media accounts. By 3 p.m., Terry, Chiron's dad, Kane, and their daughter, Kara, went to the bus stop to meet their son. However, when the bus arrived, the driver said that the boy had never gotten on in the first place. When the bus driver called the school's secretary, she told his father Chiron never showed up for his math class and he was marked absent. Terry told the secretary she didn't have Chiron with her since she dropped him off that morning and that he was missing. The school immediately called 911, who subsequently notified the police. The search for the missing seven-year-old was soon underway. Chiron's route was traced and interviews were done, but no sign of the young boy was ever found. Suspicion, of course, fell on Terry since she was the last person to have seen him alive. During the investigation, police discovered that she had actually offered their landscaper Rodolfo a lot of money five months before Chiron disappeared to help her kill her husband. Police convinced the landscaper to wear a wire, but nothing came out of that investigation, so ultimately there was no arrest. By June of 2010, Kane filed for divorce, as well as a restraining order against his now ex-wife. Supervised visits were granted to her, but full custody of their daughter was given to Kane. Chiron's disappearance remains an active investigation, but there's few leads that can be found. In 2012, his biological mother, Desiree Young, attempted to file a civil lawsuit against Terry, but in the end, she had to withdraw the suit because it required the police file, something that she can't obtain because Chiron's case is still an active investigation. Terry Horman is now going by the name Terry Lynn Moulton, and since the disappearance of her stepson, she has had several run-ins with the law. In 2015, she was arrested for stealing a gun from a friend but was released on bail. Then, several days before Christmas, she was again arrested for driving a stolen vehicle. She was also booked for this, but released upon posting bail again. The case for the missing boy is still being investigated. However, there are currently no solid leads as to where he is or who may have been involved. Number 2 the Stanford Prison Experiment. For psychologist Philip Zimbardo and the researchers behind the Stanford Prison Experiment, the study was supposed to focus on how individuals would adapt when placed in a powerless situation. 
funded by the U.S. Office of Naval Research. They wanted to test the hypothesis that it's the personality traits inherent in prisoners and guards that are the main reason behind any abusive behavior present in the prison system. The experiment involved a two-week prison simulation done in a converted portion of the Stanford University Psychology Building set to resemble the inside of a jail. Over 70 college applicants answered the ad. Each one was given diagnostic interviews as well as tests to determine their personality. The initial screening eliminated those with medical disabilities, psychological issues, and any history of crime or abuse. In the end, there were 21 male college students who participated, and they were randomly assigned to be a guard or a prisoner. This experiment was kept as close as possible to the real thing. Guards would work eight-hour rotation shifts, and the prisoners were arrested without warning, some in their homes, and taken to the police station where they were fingerprinted and booked. After that, they were blindfolded and taken to the Stanford University Psychology Building. In the makeshift prison in the basement, there were barred windows, small rooms, and bare walls. There was even a closet that was designated for solitary confinement. Prisoners were stripped naked, de-loused, had their possessions taken away, and then given prison uniforms and beddings. All of their identity was essentially stripped away as well, and they were assigned with just prison numbers. As for the guards, they wore identical khaki uniforms, a whistle on their necks, and carried wooden batons borrowed from the police department. They were told to wear sunglasses at all times in order to make eye contact with the prisoners impossible. No physical violence was permitted at all, and they were not to withhold food or water, but were told they would have to do what was necessary to maintain law and order. Zimbardo observed the behavior and also acted as the warden of the prison, on the first day, he noted it was fairly uneventful, however soon the prisoners would begin internalizing their roles and acting out. For instance, the guard, dubbed as John Wayne, who was actually David Eshelman in real life, was a theater actor and intentionally forced something to happen so researchers would have something to work with. He created this persona of the cruel prison guard, also conducting his own little experiment as to how far he could take his power and abuse of the people before they said no or when the other guards would step in and try to stop him. He said that at no point did any of the guards try to stop him, but in fact they instead actually joined in. The prisoners were also psychologically tortured and forced to repeat their prison numbers on command to help de-individualize them. Insults and petty orders became the norm. Push-ups were served out as physical punishment, and inmates soon revolted, barricading themselves in their cell and refusing to do what the guards asked. The ringleaders of this revolt were then placed in solitary confinement. Privileged cells were set up for model prisoners, and they would be handed special food and other perks for their good behavior. However, most who received this treatment refused to eat the food out of sympathy for their fellow inmates. The harassment from the guards escalated over the next few days as the prisoners slowly became submissive. Each day, the guards became more aggressive and assertive, while the prisoners sought to please them by tattling on other prisoners. Just a few days in, and it was noted that half the prisoners were introducing themselves by their own prison number and not their name. Soon, there was a situation with prisoner number 819 when he broke down in hysterics. The psychologist took off his nylon cap, which every prisoner wore, and told him to rest in a room next to the prison yard. 
One of the guards inside rallied the other prisoners and began urging them to chant, Prisoner 819 is a bad prisoner. Because of what Prisoner 819 did, my cell is a mess, Mr. Correctional Officer. Prisoner number 819 could of course hear all this and the psychologist rushed back to find him crying uncontrollably. He was urged to leave the experiment but refused saying he couldn't because he had been branded as a bad prisoner. It was here that Dr. Zimbardo stepped in and told him directly that he wasn't prisoner 819, had a real name, and that he wasn't in a real prison and everything was an experiment. He immediately stopped crying, looked up and said, okay. Let's go, almost as if nothing was wrong. Finally, on the sixth day, Zimbardo's colleague, Christina Maslich, was to conduct an interview with the inmates. However, when she saw the amount of abuse the guards had inflicted on them, she ran out crying in a rage. Of the more than 50 outsiders who had seen the prison, she was the only one who spoke out about its morality. By then, Zimbardo realized he too had bought into the role of prison superintendent without even realizing it. He had begun walking in a different way when he was in front of the prisoners and guards. He also began thinking like a superintendent instead of a research psychologist. Dr. Zimbardo halted the experiment on the sixth day instead of letting it run for the two weeks intended and noted that some of the guards were agitated that it was cut short. As a result, the experiment instead showed how people will easily accept the social roles they are expected to play. The Stanford Prison Experiment was filled with controversy because of the psychological trauma it inflicted on the participants. For many, this was a hallmark study, but for others, it was a step too far from ethical standards. As a result, human experiments now need to be approved by a review board and a debriefing must be done as soon as possible to ensure no lasting effects are left with those who participate. So there were two of the most mysterious and terrifying stories around. The world can be a crazy place and Twisted Twos is sure to show you why. If you enjoyed this video, then please remember to subscribe and check out some of our other videos we know you'll love. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you soon.